0: Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS office in WeWork London. I'm Sarah Koshansky from 11FS, and today I'm joined by my co-host Deloitte's Nigel Walsh. How are you today, Nigel? Welcome back.
1: I know it feels like ages since I've been here. I am very good, thank you. Roasting, like all of us, but I'm very good.
0: (laughs) As we said, we can't complain. So, in today's show, we're going to be looking to all things related to SMB slash SME, depending on your preference, insurance. So small businesses make up $80 billion industry in the US alone, and there are approximately 5.7 million of those small and medium-sized businesses in the UK right now. So they make no small contribution to our GDP. However, much like they are in banking, they are currently underserved by the insurance industry. So we want to dig into why this is and how tech can be used to change the status quo. Uh, And to talk about this with us, we're joined by two fantastic guests. We're joined by Anya Kubo, co-founder of Nimbler, and Alex Wheel, who is a Commercial Client Manager at Hiscox. So, um, I'd like to ask you both to introduce yourselves and give us a quick
2: summary of what you and perhaps your companies do. Um, Anya, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Uh, Anya, obviously, co founder of Nimbla. My background is very much in the financial services. I worked as an oil broker for seven years, but also started my own business on the side, which was a small business. It was a jewelry startup, which I exited last year, and very much aware of how small businesses are massively underserved, especially in insurance. So, Nimbla is a platform that allows SMEs to mitigate risk by viewing the individual risks on their debtors as well as insuring the deals they are worried about. Perfect. And Alex?
3: So Hiscox is a international specialist insurer. Um, I work in Hiscox UK where we have a history of providing specialist home insurance and extensive business insurance. Uh, I operate slightly differently than the rest of the business in that I'm the only Hiscox employee that doesn't work from Hiscox office. Uh, I'm based at Plexel an innovation hub at Here East in Stratford, and I provide insurance services to tech startups in a face-to-face setting, helping them understand the risks they currently face, how those risks will typically change as they scale, and how Hiscox Insurance can help offset some of those risks as uh, through their insurance products and services.
0: Perfect. Well, welcome to you both. So w- there are a number of different types of insurance that are applicable to small businesses. Um, I won't get into any of them in detail right now, but just before we start, I'll set them out and then we'll explore them as we go through. There is public liability insurance. There is employer's liability insurance, there's trade credit insurance, product liability insurance and professional indemnity. So if you're a small business, that's an incredible amount of products uh, that are out there and you are unlikely to know which one of those um, apply to you, how much cover you need. On top of that, um, anecdotally at least, we found speaking to small businesses that um, very few of these policies are actually tailored to small businesses. They're just either shrunk down versions of corporate policies or Puffed up yeah. versions of um, individual policies, if you like, retail policies. So, I mean, is this something you guys agree with? Is the this yeah, kind definitely. of a huge problem in knowing what you want and what you need, and you know where to find it? Yeah. And
2: yeah. Well, yeah. as a small business, just as a comparison to like a massive Coca Cola or something, yeah. The only visibility, like, say, a credit company, which insurance companies will heavily rely on, is this sort of company house files. They file like what what once or twice a year, and I don't think that's enough at all to really judge or give insurance on. So I think that's where there's a massive opportunity for InsurTech to come and solve that by granulating data. So it's all a massive data exercise at the moment but I do think that with these small nimble businesses that is something that will be
1: but, but to your point you said, you started out by saying you started your own jewellery business you exited yeah. last year. Where did you start? I mean I look at my wife and she's doing photography now and starting yeah. to sell that online and elsewhere. What sort of insurance do you need? Where, who do you want to ask for that information? Where do you start? How do you know it?
2: Yeah, well, that's a problem I didn't. There needs to be a massive educational piece and just more affordable products like trade credit. I know I keep, I'm going to keep talking about that because that's what <laughs> I know the most. Not biased at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so trade credit. Um, but yeah, for example, that, like when I needed it, I did research, but the minimum was to get a whole ton of a cover, which was 6K minimum premium to pay for a small business. I was like, mm, no, allow. I don't need that. Mm. And I ended up like getting massively burned. So by granularizing all these products, and yes in a way it's shrinking sort of saying like don't pay $6,000 don't insure your whole turn ever just pick and choose what you want to insure and that is the model that most companies are taking like say for example cover mm-hmm. um, yeah. I don't know if we've the had them on actually where, oh have you yeah yeah, yeah.
1: Freddie's a friend of the show yeah so I
2: don't know if you are of that business model it's essentially saying no you just pick and choose or you mm-hmm. just insure by the day I know a company out in America who's now like building a product where you can insure by the second like it's really wow. just going <laughs> tiny and tiny
1: can you get too much I guess I mean, maybe a question for later on but almost by the Second seems, whilst it's possible, maybe you shouldn't actually need it. Buy second insurance?
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, there is a bit of
0: like a- uh <laughs> What do you call it? Well, I mean that that kind of feeds to what some of the um, larger insurers have maybe been doing before is overselling insurance. But I mean, Alex, from your perspective, you sit on both that you know the, the larger insurer side, but also you spend your days talking to small businesses. Yep. So, do you what problems do those small businesses you speak to have when it comes to finding insurance that suits them, or or is you know the, meets their requirements is probably better?
3: So, insurance can be purchased in a number of different ways, and if we remove the bit where there's an insurance broker involved, because it's their job to make sure that everything, everything is tailored to uh, the needs of the, of the client uh, and they've got the right limits in place if we're just talking about you're buying insurance direct from an insurance company then yeah I agree that knowing what cover to have and what limits to have is an issue that we, we, the customers often say that they, they need to need to work out but there is lots of information you can get, namely on each insurer's website, as to what the products do, description of what it is, and what typical limits are, are are purchased. In my experience, the more we engage with those customers, so the more we actually have chance to speak with them, get to know their business, understand what their requirements are, the more we can actually assist in. Well, this is probably what it what it should look like for you. And I think in a digital landscape, that's, that's maybe slightly more difficult because you don't you, you lose a little bit of that engagement. I presume that's where techs are starting to now come in and go, well, this is what we can solve as a, uh, in, so you, in a different so way. So you're
1: saying the role of a broker, potentially, or an intermediary of some sort, whether it's a broker or direct through a tied agent or however you want to do it, is actually critical for the education process of SMEs?
3: No, I, I don't think it's critical. I mean, depending on the size of the company and the, the needs of the company, I think it's one of those things that if a company needed some advice, real advice as to what, what to have, then there are insurance brokers out there that do that for a living and use a whole range of insur- insurance companies. For those companies that want to access his, uh, like an insurance company directly, there is lots of information available uh, online and through speaking to other insurance experts or, say, tide agent, uh, tied agent um, account handlers or, or even face-to-face in where, where, in where I work, where you can, you can have uh, quite an open conversation as to, this is what my business does, these are the risks to my business. This is how I want to manage it. Is there insurance products that can help me do that? And what does, what does that look like? And you're not necessarily advising or, or guiding. What you're doing is you're just giving them a, like an honest feedback as to what, what their position is.
0: So, Anya, what you're saying is that, you know, it's actually from the big insurers aren't providing what's needed. But, Alex, what it sounds like you're saying is that that's changing. You know, the, the bigger insurers are starting to realise that maybe they historically haven't. Serve these businesses particularly well,
3: so I think at Hiscox, we pride ourselves on being a niche insurance company that looks after small businesses so from from our perspective, I think we design products specifically for groups of groups of customers, and I think we 're very good at, at doing that and as an insurance industry as a whole, can we get better and i think I, I think the answer is there 's always room for improvement, and I, and I like the way that insure techs are coming along to kind of either work with some of these insurance companies to make the most of the opportunity with the data that we have, or to rival and to be a competitor for us to improve our, our game as well. So yeah. I think overall, it's, it's quite a good mix in, in improving the, the current landscape.
2: What does Hiscox um, class as an SMB slash SME? So, sort of so if if I'm, if
3: from, a, from a Hiscox direct perspective, I think small businesses would be classed as anyone under 250 employees but in reality okay. we'd probably look at it as sub 10, 10 employees if, okay. if I'm, like,
1: that's the micro side like yeah, 1 to it's 10 it's, or it's like yeah. S,
3: S, the S side of SME, yeah. right of those companies 95% are going to be sub 10 employees yeah. in regards to 250 so
0: yeah.
3: I think that's that's probably the better way that we look at how can we help those new companies these young companies or those companies exactly. that have slightly, slightly, slightly grown out of that
0: to carry on with that point what, you know, exactly what you're saying Anya, it sounds like that's where the market gap is um, but presumably you think you can also make a successful business out of offering insurance <laughs> (laughs) these guys. Yeah,
2: of course. Like, the margins are obviously smaller. When you granularize anything to this, they are going to be smaller. But for the data we're collecting and what we're trying to improve at the end of the day, I mean, there's always a a trade-off, right? And I think... Like, we do have, as Nimble, I like to pride ourselves in saying that we want to... We have, like, a bigger sort of vision and that's to sort of you know help small businesses thrive uh, it's not like the classic insurance sense of doom and gloom insure or you will like go under we really want to sort of help and um, promote the whole gig economy and um freelancer you know way that things are going so providing um insurance that meets the, the the needs of the changing economy so it's
3: exactly.
0: changing insurance for a changing economy yeah
3: what i really like about nimble is that you are you're identifying a particular need around credit insurance it's not the whole of business yeah. insurance spectrum yeah. and this is where insurtechs are great is that we're going to pick this one thing and, and we're going to make this really great yeah. and then it can expand I, I
1: admire you, I, you know, I, I was giving you a hard time there going bedoom and gloom of big insurers and you've come straight back with a compliment about well, that's just brilliant that's, that's the way insurtech rolls I love it um, but but it's a, the other thing that always fascinates me here is the wording or the terminology is this even in English trade credit insurance if I want to start my own business doing photography or jewellery or dressmaking yeah. That's not even normal language, is it?
2: I know, and I really dislike using jargon. I try not to as much as possible. Invoice insurance. I mean Perfect. So, yeah. so you're you're insuring against an invoice that you have out and you're insuring
0: against somebody not paying that invoice, right? Against
2: bad debt and again I've gonna use jargon protracted debt, which means late payment. That's okay. a piece that we're gonna be working on later as well as legal (laughs) disputes but yeah you're right um I think it's important to focus on one thing properly with this whole idea of plug and play as I'm sure you're aware of you know just being Really good at one thing and plugging into many things.
0: So, I mean, just to go back to what you um, mentioned there earlier, and as well. Like, and then for both of you, this question is, is: is it more complicated to calculate risk for these smaller businesses? We've touched on it here, but like, is the is there a yes or no answer? Is it yes? It's more complicated for a smaller business.
3: So, I mean, should I take the general business view and then focus on. Yeah. on the credit I, I, I like
0: mean, how polite you're being to each other. <laughs> it's
3: more well, very
1: nice in insurance.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, generally speaking, it, it should be easier to calculate premiums for, small, for, for smaller businesses, there's more data, there's more companies, we're able to run it through and go, we understand this group of companies that all do technology, all do media, all do consultancy, recruitment, like we can group them together and see the experience of those companies over the last 10, 15 years and get like a more kind of profiled view and an easier way, less question sets, all the rest of it. So in theory, it should, it should be easier from a general business insurance. I'm not sure if it's the same in, in credit.
2: I mean, like, like I mentioned before, the visibility on small business in terms of credit is a lot murky, a lot harder. And that's something a lot of companies are working on right now, whether it's using sentiment data. So, you know, open data from various sources, like even like Twitter or something, like anything. People are trying to solve that. So hopefully it will be easier. But yeah, I definitely do. Do the same
1: rules apply for calculating risk for an SMB to a... A mid-tier enterprise to a,
3: a global corporate. So, from an underwriting process, this, it's going to be slightly different. I mean, generally speaking, the principles are the same. Yeah. Um, as we'd expect, right? Underwriting
1: is underwriting is just looking at the data to understand what my risk is going to be.
3: And, and with smaller businesses, you can kind of get a view of what they are, what they're doing as a business, how risky that is. What the, so you can you, you can pull it together a bit more as they get bigger those risks might be a bit more diverse there might be larger contracts in play you might be trading internationally all the things that you would expect a small business to develop into over time and it's at those times that you need to be able to keep your insurance up to date as well so renewal is the common time when insurance is reviewed when in reality what it needs to be is under your obligations with insurance policy as your business changes there should be a conversation and i think maybe as insurers we can do more to kind of Nudge that or, p- or prompt that those conversations to happen. You,
1: you're reminding me again. Go back to your point about personal or the interaction. The fact you're not even sitting in a his cook's office; you're sitting elsewhere. The personal contact in it almost reminds me of the Oak North conversations where they actually do the loan book by interview at the outset, and they actually get to know the customers in a slightly different way. So, if maybe I'm wrong, but maybe it feels a bit more like actually, if we know you better, we can actually work with you in a different way. So, does that exclude digital channels from being a smart way to either
3: acquire or renew or? Absolutely not. Like it's like the digital channel is a great way of being able to get hold of customers and in the end of the day it's the automation of what we do what we're trying to do in a personal human human type of way but it just takes it's quite a lot of work and effort to get that in to be to match up um, my job obviously I'm slightly siloed from from the rest of the business in that I get to meet all these these cool startups across a whole range of different stuff and learn what they what they're doing and how we can be useful to those companies and then feed that insight back into the company so that we can create better Products and services to match their needs. So, yeah, I feel quite quite privileged that I get to have that that role at Hiscox.
0: With what you're um, doing, I know. So, you know, we talk about new technologies that, and the, what's been mentioned 75 times already in the last 10 minutes is data, and and you know the how you can use data. Yeah. Um, is that something that sort of you know? First of all, is that is that sort of technology that data analytics technology what enables you to run your current business? Yeah. And you know, and then I'd like to know a little bit more about what other kinds of data. So you briefly mentioned like Twitter. What other kinds of data could you be using here to help you? model risk um, with a company of your size
2: yeah of course like any company I guess partnerships with credit companies mm-hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> number one it will just be a case of time and gathering our own granular data on payments really that's what yeah. any sort of tech yeah. wants
0: so it's building, building that data portfolio over time I yeah
2: suppose. Exactly. And
1: how much will you leverage external data, whether it's Experian or open source data about the type of industry? If it's, you know, I don't know at all, but is fashion worse at paying than media or is media really really good or oh, yeah. milk float manufacturers terrible, <laughs> whatever it might be. <laughs> Have you got different industries that you are notorious at bad paying, for example?
2: Yeah, well, um, Large I Large consultancies is the- <laughs> <as> an example. <laughs> Before else Construction says it. being the, I guess, obvious one. So when we sort of did our own sort of market research as any sort of, Small business trying to figure out what problem to solve uh, does. Construction was definitely by far the worst. 90% of late payment about debt comes from construction. So, interestingly enough, though, what we found so, yeah, 90% we really went for the construction angle, but because it is a digital company that we have and all our marketing efforts have been very much digital, we're not finding that. We're finding that actually creative agencies and people like that, people who are more, I don't know, tech savvy, maybe use. Cloud accounting are the ones coming to our platform. So, really
0: interesting. Yeah.
2: People who are aware
0: of kind of also, I
2: guess, the people like
0: Market Invoice who are doing invoice financing, but it's of a similar idea, I guess, raising that awareness of linking into people like Xero and and how that can help.
3: Yes. Wouldn't it be really cool if you were starting a business or thinking about starting a business that you had this information prior to starting as well? Like, so you can kind of know that if I'm going into a construction. Uh, I'm going to start a construction company. These are the problems I'm going to face.
1: Sarah actually tweeted earlier something from Santander, if I recall correctly, saying, Here's your pocketbook from um, all the things you need to know for business. Did you or did you not?
0: (laughs) I did. I did. Uh, So uh, basically, Santander have just backed a, uh, a. well, it's a Saturday-powered, in fact, um, startup, which I can't remember the name more. Pocket, was you-
3: Pocket, yeah, I think so. Mm.
0: It's actually called Asto, ah. the business admin app that gives you back your time. So for quick answers and inspiration, business owner to business owner, Asto is your pocket business helper. That's where we got the pocket bit from. Uh, always on hand to make business admin simple. But the point is, it's not all about, so yes, you could go, I mean, everybody know, Everybody starting a small business knows what zero is. Like, yeah. you, I mean, yeah. you'd be hard-pressed not to at this point. Um, and that's great, and it's a very good service, but actually knowing what's beyond that and what additional services there are I guess is, is the point we're talking about. is that discovery phase and the education phase. Yeah. And
3: this is where I think it can get really exciting for insurance is where so I get really excited about APIs. I know it's probably
0: Oh no, we all do round here.
3: <laughs>
4: that's a common trait.
3: <laughs> but like the idea a proper
1: or, insurance, I'm assuming.
3: The, uh, the, the 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 idea that probably ninety percent of the information we collect is just a customer repeating the same information they've already given or stored somewhere else. Yeah. And you're spending time and energy building those relationships with those customers talking about stuff they don't really want to talk to, you can get either publicly or you can get from a trusted third party.
0: Exact same problem in banking, where people go for get a, ba- you know, small go to get a bank account and they're like, but we've told you all this twice already. It's yeah. just you're making us fill in the paper form again. <laughs> so
3: in, in, a, in a perfect world, like the, the idea of being able to get an insurance quote whereby you are 90% of that information is already fulfilled by zero or something similar to that, yeah. and then you're spending your time talking to someone about real risks that are important to you and building a conversation. That's Not that's, the monotonous
1: admin that needs to go with it.
3: Exactly. And I think, I, I, not that I um, necessarily want to poo-poo what we're doing at the moment, but like, that's kind of like where we, it'd be really nice to get to that point from a customer's perspective, yeah. I think.
1: You go one step further, I think you talked about data as well. It, it's the, if we can, profile it properly we should be able to go hey people like you in this sector starting up that are doing a jewellery startup consider the following things because these things are tricky Mm -hmm. so you therefore know a what's mandatory and b what's nice to have and you know therefore you know that you don't get in trouble with the health and safety exec whatever else it might be and if you have the opportunity to do it and your attitude to risk you might also therefore get x y and z and that starts to then use that data accordingly
3: to give to inform you as to what you need and what's nice to have. Being yeah. proactive and informative would yeah, be fantastic, wouldn't
0: it? It's, I mean, so that's an ideal world. Uh, just to go back to what you were saying, Anya, how you know using your digital business, how do people find you? Do you ask them? Do they just literally Google, you know, business insurance or whatever? Or how do they tend to stumble upon your services?
2: I find LinkedIn to be extremely useful <laughs> because it is. It's as everyone knows, B two B is difficult. Yeah, mm. like my last startup was B two C, that was a lot more easy. So when I started this, I was like, right, obviously you need to speak to the decision maker. My previous channel as well, it's all like Facebook, like blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But LinkedIn is perfect because with insurance, I think it's important as well to create a story. Don't just sell a product. So that's been amazing for that. And in general, most of the clients we have are from networking events and Mm -hmm. going out and speaking to people and be like, what are your pain points? what's this rather than just being like here's a product buy it
0: and, um, and are they people who know what insurance they need or are they people who ask you what insurance they need
2: I mean because I just think yeah, yeah, the they're, yeah.
0: They're being yeah. burnt ideas like, oh my god I've been burnt now I need insurance well that's far too late exactly
2: <laughs> um, I think the positive side of our products as well is the fact that yeah you can link into your cloud accounting and see your debtors' risks and stuff like that. So I think that's sort of the pull to the product. And then obviously the hindsight is the invoice insurance as well. I might be getting stuck
1: here, but I'm still intrigued by the personal connection piece. You've talked about network events. You've talked about where you're actually located. I'm digital, 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 or whatever you want to call it, because it's the way in which we're acquiring. But there seems to be a really strong link here back to good old-fashioned people, people, yeah. people. Whether it's a BNI event or other sort of business networking event or whatever else, it does feel like you go where the people are.
3: So there's a there's definitely a human element to all of this. I think in building the connections with with companies that are within your customer base or with potentially your customer base. I think building that human connection, however you get chance to do that whether that be online or mobile or whether it's in person or whether it's over the phone when you're speaking to them from a from a customer experience center any chance that you get to have that engagement, I think, is, is the key the key bit to it.
0: So, I, I guess that kind of so there's there's, there's you know, you, you want to be proactive, you want to be talking to people, and networking events is a great way to do that. Because the last thing you want to be seen as, presumably, is some kind of insurance equivalent of an ambulance chaser. So, yeah. you've had, you, uh, you filed a claim. I saw you filed a claim. Therefore, you know, yeah. I'm going to come after you. So, I, I guess there's a balance there. Um, I wonder about this education piece, how we do it. So, you know, price comparison sites are nobody's friend really i suppose mm-hmm. other kind of dis- digital distribution you said you find linkedin helpful yeah i mean how else how else do you kind of distribute awareness and education
3: so awareness is is a, is a really really good i mean that's what we're talking about like can insurance be better at making people aware of what, what they need when essentially and i think there's room for improvement like there is no in like a, in a lot of things i think what i'm trying to work on at the moment is and i say this is specific to tech companies because that's what what i look after but, like, we know the journey of a company is going to be from idea to, to say, series A or scale-up size companies. Now, along that way, you're going to have pain points. There's enough information out there at the moment through platforms or from just in, from the internet side, to know companies are going through those pain points, whether it be investing or working abroad, or having a big mm-hmm. co- like client contract. Like... Can we preempt that in some way and be informative? Going, we think you're going through this at the moment. This is companies going through this are typically like buying this type of services, or these are the type of questions they're asking. Can we be of any help? That would be. I think that would be a good way of of, of going about it. But at the moment, it's, it's it's in a it's in a ring fence small mm. small way of doing. We I mean,
1: go back to your point, Sarah, as well on the price comparison sites. Those, I mean, uh, Oliver Ralph, our friend over at the FT, wrote last week about Insuretex focusing on SMEs going forward and quoted. I think it was a traveller's acquisition of simply business for circa four hundred million a business that was valued a hundred million the year before so it gives you an idea of where we think insurance people or insurance organizations think the next big bubble might be um, it's a huge
2: amount of money in my mind
0: what were you, what were you going to add in there And you because it was on the same I point, was just wasn't it? really
2: it was it was back to your point about when I had my own small business and why was I not aware of these products and where I would have gone to it for advice I would probably said it was like trade associations events but. That's interesting so that's
0: interesting so that ties into what you're just saying there Nigel that these people see that there's a big gap here yeah. but the people who actually need the insurance still don't really know where to find it and it it feels like to me that maybe there's a piece there we talk about this on our sister podcast uh, Fintech Insider about value added services so Mm -hmm. Hiscox as a big name brand is there something you can be doing which is advice and education on top of selling (laughs) insurance if you like which helps you know your partners if they're the start. And,
3: and I think that's what we're we're trying to do. There's, we have a small business blog which kind of brings all that sort of stuff to, to life. We did the recent the cyber server attack, and we, we demonstrated how many attacks were going on on different servers. Gareth to kind came of, on the show cool. and talked
1: about some of the stuff as well. So we, yeah. it's really interesting,
3: right? Yeah, so the, so it's just kind of bringing this a bit more to life. So You should be aware that you have a data threat, and this is what you could be doing about it. Here's a product that will help you do that. So I think we, so Hiscox as a big brand is trying is trying to do those things. Yeah. Um, going back going back to to your point earlier around like where would you go to get this information? I mean, I'm not a small business owner. I, n- I never have been. So I, c- I can only comment as what I would potentially do. But mm. surely you would just go into Google and just be like small like business insurance and see what see what comes up. Well, right? it's like yeah. I'm looking at
1: Simply Business here. And at the bottom, they've got van insurance, you know, this insurance, business insurance. And it goes through product by product by product. And we've got to get away some, from some point of going, it can't be solid anymore. It's got to be, I'm a small business owner and my industry is this. And it might be restaurant, it might be catering, it might be what are the additional risks? Like, you know, do I trade online? Therefore, if I'm doing that, do I need cyber insurance, for example? And I think you guys did a, a cracking report recently. I think it was like 68% of people that have, that have a cyber attack in a small business go out of business within six months. So how do you encourage small business owners that want trade credit insurance, liability insurance, to then take the next step further and go, actually, you need cyber as well, if
0: you can do stuff online? I mean, it's, it means knowing you need it as well So I'm guessing, mm. I knew when you were running your jewellery business, just no, you I didn't, didn't even think about it. No. You were like, I sell jewellery. But yeah. the fact that you sold jewellery through Facebook and you were getting customers payment details through the internet probably didn't occur to you that that was another risk, I'm guessing. No,
2: not at all. And the only like, honestly, if I think back, I mean, it was quite a while ago now, but like, small claims court was the only thing I could think of, right? Oh, something's gone wrong small claims court like that was it And (laughs) that's that's after the problem that's after something's gone wrong so i mean i think the cyber insurance one is a big
0: one and i think i think you're right it goes back to i think what we're coming back to is this value added service packaged idea that maybe as a small business you need somebody to come to you and say we don't you don't need a bank account you don't just need zero you also are gonna need some possibly some trade finance possibly some insurance let us help you try and piece together all those bits of data and provide you with a broader
1: May, service. Maybe, maybe it's even groups like the Institute of Directors in London or where we are now. Look at, look at what WeWork are doing and look at what the likes of Regis and elsewhere have done. I mean, We are, we are in essence in a giant, great, big business incubator where you're surrounded by like-minded people and similar organisations that are typically in startup mode. You could come in here and potentially as a service that WeWork offer to their incumbents and go, hey, you've, you've rented the first desk. These are things you should, you should consider as you scale up.
3: Mm. Yeah, so you, there's, you've got to be a bit careful in getting into advice and then the introduction. So if you're introducing into business, then you need to be approved to, and regulated to do so. So that's where complications come into this type of thing. But I mean, take, for example, what we're doing at, at Plexel. So I'm sitting there as the insurance company, but we have a we have Kemp Little who are the solicitors there. And we have Barclays there from a banking perspective. We have a branding company. We have a recruitment company. They've set it up as an ecosystem yeah. whereby those companies can come and interact with those companies on that different on that on that on that, on that route. Um, so we've we've gone there on a basis that this is we think this is a really good idea. Like how can we how can we do this and how can we learn from this? And if if it's successful there, then why not be able to go into centres like like WeWork or in other places? It's almost like the bank. old
1: student banking folks on campus. When I went to university many many means ago, but you'd have a student banker on site for you to go and set up your bank account. And the likelihood back then was you probably wouldn't move. Unfortunately, fintech came along, we're
0: all moving. We've been chatting for a while. I think that kind of leads us towards, you know, we've covered what it is and, you know, what we would like. You know, what do you think the the future is here of small business insurance? So we've had, you know, two perspectives. We've had, Anya, you're, you're running... You've, you ran an SMB and now you're running insurance for SMBs. Yeah. so obviously the opportunity is there for for startups in this space do you, do you think that we're going to see you know do you think according to um, we're going to see a lot more of activity in this space
2: oh yeah definitely like even speaking to Massive banks. I know HSBC is a bit late to the game, but they're all down for this plug and play thing, as I touched on earlier.
0: So, so you would plug your services into HSBC and then they'd say, you know, you're a small business with an HSBC bank account. Would you like this insurance as well? Here's a here's a Yeah, or marketplaces.
2: Part. There's going to be way more marketplaces, definitely, where the sort of options, like I said, like as a small business owner back in what, whenever I started my small business, they would just be all there. Um, yeah. Obviously approved, but also, but branded, oh, so... They, like the bank wouldn't have anything to do with it.
1: So who owns the marketplace in your mind, out of interest? Because that's really, I mean, the fintech world is, is taking off with the Monzo and, market, and yeah. Starling marketplaces and whatever else. Is it the insurance company that can own that? Is it a bank that owns it?
2: I mean, the bank would own it, but I don't think they'd brand it. I don't think they'd white label it. They'd want to keep everything... Separate. It's I think the space is wide open for third
0: parties. I don't know about what yes. you'd say about this, Alex, but I think the space is wide open for there to be a service marketplace for small business that is not a bank or an insurer. It's kind of it becomes the new it maybe yeah. a zero. I mean, Alex just kind of like oh, so a surprise you know, smile. At
3: his dogs, <laughs> No, so I so I mean from a if you look at what's going on with open banking and data portability under GDPR, like it's moving to the bit where you can start moving stuff around data and your knowledge of your business. And I think, does there need to be a a, a third party in between that, or is it is it going to be easy enough to move stuff around from different different services that that it's not required essentially? And I think that would be the interesting thing to see to see how it goes. I think from a from an insurance perspective, it would be quite nice to be able to get to the stage where instead of asking. Fifteen questions. You're asking three questions, but they're really, really important questions mm-hmm. to the client. That's really useful. But also having the awareness and being able to promote stuff to the client so that that they know when they should be coming to speak to you, or, each, or even perhaps doing it on their behalf. So if you, for example, if you were LinkedIn with zero, oh, your turnover has gone above your maximum allowable. I'm giving you a call to let you know this is the cost to update. Or we recognise you you've want? gotten more yeah.
1: employees. You should really have this, yeah. this, and this. And by the way, here's your pension that you have to do yeah. for your employees going forward. And that's
3: surely mm. the way that all this is, is this is heading. So I don't. Think any any big secrets we're giving away but i mean that's that that's going to be to the benefit of small small businesses thank you
0: so much you both for joining us that wraps up our roundtable discussion for this evening um where can our listeners find out more about you do you have websites
2: or twitter handles you'd like to share with us anya uh yeah so obviously the website www.nimbla.com i'm also on linkedin and our twitter handles nimblabla <laughs> <laughs> how, would, how would you like to spell that <laughs> Her, nimble, nimble, blah, blah. Nimbla, Nimbla, blood, N I M B L A B L O Perfect. <laughs> How about you, Alex?
3: So I'm probably best on, on LinkedIn. Alex Wheel, W-H-E-A-L. Turn it to the I am on Twitter at Alex Wheel Seven
0: on Twitter. Perfect. And Nigel, apparently California is where you can find you can be found <laughs> for the next <laughs> few weeks.
1: Oh, blimey, how did you know that? Uh, Nigel Walsh on Twitter, and I'll be there no matter where I
0: am in the world. And you can find me at Sarah Koshansky on Twitter. Next up, I caught up with Harry Franks, CEO of Zego, a gig economy and small business insurer at Tech Insights last month in London. Let's hear from him now. I'm Sarah Koshansky and welcome to InsureTech Insider Interviews. I'm here with Harry from Zigo. How are you today, Harry?
4: I'm very well, thank you.
0: So could you start off by giving us an overview of what it is Zigo actually does?
4: So at Zigo, we're focused on creating insurance products for the gig economy. So for people who are working in non-traditional forms of employment, who are working in multiple types of work um, at a very low duration, high frequency and high variation type role, and we uh, we work with the providers um, of that work and we harness the information that moves between the individual's mobile phone and that work provider mm-hmm. so that their insurance policies actually map the way they actually work.
0: And so are you insuring the person, um, the vehicle? What, what, so what type of worker, for example, would you be um, providing insurance
4: to? So we're providing for the individual. Okay. Um, so if we were to take uh, a Deliveroo scooter rider, mm-hmm. we allow them to have an insurance policy for exactly what they're doing and exactly the time they're doing it, mm-hmm. as opposed to the traditional Traditional form which is to buy an annual insurance contract mm-hmm. um, the challenge with that is that if you buy an annual insurance contract but you only work for two hours a day or two days per week mm-hmm. then it's not fit for purpose it's cost ineffective um, and what you tend to find is that people either don't take the job, Mm -hmm. um, they will try and cancel their insurance and drive around uninsured um, or indeed they will then try and get as many hours in doing that particular type of flexible work which doesn't really promote what the the gig economy is all about, which is true flexibility.
0: So um, you're insuring the the scooter rider, the cyclist, the driver, Um, what sort of insurance is that? Is that uh, personal liability? Is that third party accidents? What what kind of insurance are we talking here?
4: Uh, So actually if we're taking motor, Mm -hmm. um, they are um, it's a commercial insurance policy mm-hmm. because at the moment you move into the commercial space the moment you put a pizza on the back of your bike uh, or a person in the back of the car even if it's just for one hour you are then entering commercial lines and right. um, the challenge with that is your traditional insurance policy will increase maybe two or three or four times mm-hmm. um, by virtue of the fact that you're engaged in commercial activity and so we're creating a different proportional uh, risk at that point.
0: So the problem that you're solving is actually uh, providing an insurance uh, insurance policies that are relevant to to the hours of work so you more flexible insurance policies
4: absolutely so um, our insurance policies switch on when you start working mm-hmm. so the moment you log into that platform to say i am now available for work mm-hmm. or indeed send me jobs um, you are then moving from personal lines into commercial lines and we take that data movement which has all come through the digital digitalization um, that we see in this labor force yep. um, via mobile phone and we bind them on a separate insurance policy
0: so do you have to connect into the uber app the delivery app whatever it happens
4: to be or Yes, really. Yeah. So we sign up the individual, um, and as part of that sign-up process, uh, we have a tripartite agreement between the individual, the work provider, and Zego to say we can use that data movement between the individual and their work provider. And our vision really is that an individual can then work for multiple platforms um, across different sectors. At the moment, our customers, even in one vertical, so say um, food or parcel delivery on scooters, 30% of our customers actually work for multiple platforms, But if you start to bring that into different sectors as well, then they can really start to leverage everything that the gig economy has to offer. So someone might wake up in the morning, and be a, a carer uh, oh. first thing, then get on their scooter and do a delivery, then uh, work as a, a plumber or a waiter mm-hmm. over lunchtime, and then be an Uber driver um, in the evenings when the, the surge is there, mm-hmm. when the demand is actually there. So instead of looking purely at one type of flexible work, okay. they really, we, we create this social mobility by creating flexibility within their overheads. It's
0: actually an ecosystem you're building. Um, do you have to get, uh, presumably you have to get Uber and delivery etc. to agree to this?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, so we have a great relationship with um, with most of those platforms. Mm-hmm. Ultimately what, what we're trying to do is, is beneficial for all parties. Mm-hmm. We're trying to make it cost effective for, for an individual to, to work more flexibly. Mm-hmm. So if you were to buy an annual contract, you feel you need to work yeah. more. Mm-hmm. And what we want is actually if people don't work, then they don't have to pay. From the platform point of view, we, we're very aligned with incentives because ultimately what they want is a fully insured independent workforce Mm -hmm. that will adapt to the demands of the consumer of the the person ordering the service Mm -hmm. Um, and so if we can lower the barriers to entry and create flexibility in that space then it's ultimately beneficial for, for those platforms as well and for the wider public we want to make sure that everyone who's working in this space has the right type of insurance at any one time. And so we're creating an infrastructure of best practice that moves around with those, uh, those workers um, as they move between different platforms.
0: And right now the worker themselves pays for that policy, is that correct?
4: Well, the workers are independent. Um, okay. So they, can, they are not going to commit to certain numbers of hours for individual work providers. Um, they, they can choose as and when they work, if indeed they want to work at all. And as such, they they need to protect themselves. They wow. they are not doing enough to be an employee, mm-hmm. and so yes, they pay pay for themselves. But it's directly in proportion to when they're earning. Mm-hmm. So it's a really beneficial thing for their cash flow.
0: Would you move out of the freelancer space maybe into small businesses? You know, two or three people working um, to do a similar kind of thing, or is freelancer really your focus for now?
4: At the moment, we're we're really focused on on the motor space in the UK, okay. um, and now we're moving into non motor freelancer as a whole. So, um, so
0: bicycle scooters. So or?
4: Uh, so construction workers, cleaners, right. carers, therapists, People part-time doctors. People might work doctors. for
0: TaskRabbit or Urban Massage, that kind of thing. Precisely, okay.
4: yeah. So, we, you know, we, that's where our focus lies okay. at the moment. Going into to uh, smaller SMEs mm. in time, we'd love to. I think one of the things that we're very proud of is that we have built a tech platform that allows us to move into different spaces very fast. Mm-hmm. So from the outset, we've always thought about scale. And to that end, we we are launching in mainland Europe very soon. And that's very simple for us mm-hmm. because we can replicate the platform in any time zone, currency, mm-hmm. language, whatever it may be, and in any sector, which gives us the ability to move very fast.
0: And um, do you underwrite your own policies or are they provided by uh, an incumbent insurer or a third party?
4: We work, we work with a number of um, a number of insurers behind us, many of the, the names you will, you will know. Mm-hmm. Um, and But generally what we give access to, to them is um, a new market. Mm-hmm. I think traditionally the sharing economy, the gig economy, has been a bit of a, a black hole of, of uncertainty. People yeah. don't know what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. But because we can see exactly what someone's doing at any one time, we bring some clarity and we can actually say, well, we can see that carrier is doing this type of thing at this type at this exact time and we've got the premium to match it so we we help traditional insurers understand that space we facilitate that sort of arrangement and as a platform we make sure that we manage all parts of that process so from the sales and distribution all the way through to the policy issuance the policy management um, and and then for the traditional carrier we produce the same sorts of mi and reports that they would uh, expect from any software house and that's before we start (coughs) looking at some of the more interesting things you know not not just comfortable with a triangulated report which will show you what's happening from a purely financial position over the next 12 months, well, what if we actually started to look at the data that we're getting on a per day basis and say, well, when are different types of activities happening during the course of one day? And if we then add over what incidents are happening, then we do those incidents in specific areas.
0: I see. So Uber drivers on a Saturday night in central London might be a very different category to Uber drivers on a Monday morning in Cardiff or something.
4: Those are the sorts of, <laughs> the sorts of insights that we are gathering a huge amount of data and almost a snowball effect of data to really understand what's actually going on in the gig economy and to inform our pricing.
0: And and that will help those uh, the carriers who you're working with better price their risk presumably as well.
4: Well, we have an internal team who manage okay. all of our pricing um, okay, and yeah. we then work with carriers that... that there are no, um, the issue with when we go back to carriers and say, well, we'd like to price this new risk at this mm-hmm. price, um, they will tend to say to us, well, we, we love this, but we want five years of past data.
0: Okay. So yeah. that's
4: where we need to internally create and support the pricing that we want to then put to carriers. So we do a huge amount of the work right. by
0: ourselves. So once you've got the data to back it up, you can go to them and say, this is why you should price it at this, because we can prove it. Exactly. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Harry. Um I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. That wraps up another InsureTech Insider. Thank you so much to all our guests, to Anya, Alex, Harriet, Zigo, and of course to you, Nigel. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at In-Tech Insiders And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and please, please leave us a review on iTunes. They are so important. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcasts at 11